When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 186 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. What a show we have for you today. Here's the deal. This California bill came out almost instantaneously after the last episode was released. So many of you hit me up. Torres, what do you think? Torres, what does this mean? Torres, what's the next step? And I waited. I probably shouldn't have. Probably should have just gotten on Periscope or something like that. Talk this through with all of you. But I waited. uh, And it's been an eventful few days. So what this episode is going to look like is this. I'm going to spend most of the first half of this episode talking about the California pay-for-play bill that went into effect or could go into effect uh, on Monday. I think that it's okay. I'm not anti-players using their name, image, and likeness to get paid, but I do think there's complications. Also, if you didn't see, uh, me and Richard Sherman had a back and forth on Twitter. Uh, He's right, I'm wrong, so it's not that big of a deal, but I'll kind of explain to you what happened there. He completely misunderstood what I said. He sounded like a dope. Whatever, no big deal. Legion of whom don't really care. Uh, After that, I will briefly give you my college football picks. Look, here's the bottom line. It's a slow weekend in college football. There is not a lot to look forward to. And so I don't feel the need to do 12 minutes on Michigan, Iowa, or Auburn, Florida, or whatever. So we're going to talk the California bill. We're going to talk college football picks. Then, big guest, don't know if you've heard of him, as promised, Kirk Herbstreet, joins the show for about a 10 to 12 minute interview. Uh, He had a very limited amount of time, but he does talk about Alabama, why they continue to be so great. Clemson, what's wrong with Clemson, his time in the booth, what he loves about college football. Great, short, quick interview with Kirk Herbstreet. And then as promised, I will do a College Hoops mailbag on the back end. As I told you, I got about 15 questions lined up. I'll pick probably four or five, talk about them, and we will conclude the show. Should also mention, old friend of the show, Eric Musselman, uh, Arkansas head coach, will join me next week. I actually recorded with him already. I want to tell you, it was one of the best interviews I've ever done. We talked about life. We talked about coaching philosophy. You don't have to be an Arkansas fan to enjoy it. As you guys know, whether you're an Arkansas fan or not, Muss is always interesting. He always has interesting thoughts. And I really enjoyed speaking with him for Monday's show. But first today, this California bill. And of course, 
uh, Kirk Herbstreet, and then the College Hoops mailbag. Before we get to that, I want to remind everybody, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do that on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. Do it on Podbean TuneIn Radio. Please make sure to rate and review the show. Also, Spotify. You can also do it on Spotify. Rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know how much you love us. Let us know that you're not like that jerk Richard Sherman and doesn't get along with AT. Uh, Please make sure to rate and review the show. Like I said, five stars really do help. It really does make a difference uh, as this show continues to grow by the week. Love me or hate me, this show gets bigger and bigger every week because I think at the very least you guys know where I stand on stuff, what my opinions are. I believe in what I'm saying. And so I appreciate all the support. Also, If you're not already following Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast, uh, all sorts of good stuff there on Instagram where obviously previews of the show, previews of guests, college football picks, all that good stuff on the Aaron Torres podcast page. Also, as we get towards college hoop season, I will have my previews and predictions there. And I wrap. If you have questions like so many of you have had, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into this California bill here. Like I said, uh, I released Monday's episode, and almost as soon as that episode went to air, this California bill was passed for people who don't know. Um, basically, the governor of California, and by the way, all of you know, I know that, but uh, for people who are living under a rock or don't like college sports but love Aaron Torres enough to listen to his podcast, first of all, shout out to you people. This California bill put into place by Governor Gavin Newsom, and basically kind of the simple concept of it is very pretty straightforward. It is basically that college athletes, at least in the state of California, will be able to now benefit off of their name, image, and likeness. For people who don't really understand what that means, that doesn't mean that college athletes will get paid What it means is that they can now collect endorsement dollars, right? So we all know that college athletes, we all know the deal. Go to school, you get tuition paid for free, you get books paid for free, you get free housing, you get free food, you get free workout gear, you travel, you get a meal stipend, whatever, but you obviously don't get paid. So this, in this case, a player will not be able to get paid, but if the local car dealership wants to have Tua Tonga Viola in a, in a commercial and pay him $100,000 or $20,000 or $5,000, they can now do it. Um, if the next big quarterback, uh, you know, coming out of high school, if, if, if uh, whatever, fill in the blank, place wants to pay that kid $500,000 coming out of high school to commit to Ohio State, and the uh, you know Columbus Dispatch wants to sponsor him or whatever, they can do that. And so again, pe- people, this wouldn't allow people to get paid um, this, but it would allow them to kind of get endorsement dollars. I would also add, by technicality, players already can, but obviously, if a player gets paid using their name, image, and likeness. Uh, they get suspended, and they're not allowed to keep that money. So obviously the most famous case, Johnny Manziel signs autographs uh, for money and basically gets paid for it. He gets videotaped, and the NCAA suspends him. They end up only suspending him a half a game. But the point being is that Johnny Manziel got in trouble for that. Under this new bill, the NCAA would not be allowed to suspend athletes for suffer- for using their name, image, and likeness, at least in the state of California. Um And so that's where that bill kind of comes into place. And so the NCAA's argument all along has basically been, look, we can't have 50 states legislating their own thing. And and what the NCAA has tried to argue is that 
if this bill goes into place, they may have to suspend California teams from competing under NCAA like stuff, right? So like if UCLA can now bid on college basketball players or college football players and nobody else can, the only way to stop UCLA in theory by the NCAA's idea would be for them to suspend UCLA from all kind of postseason activity. So basically, yeah, UCLA, we can't stop you from paying players or from allowing players to benefit off their name, image, and likeness, but you're not allowed in the NCAA tournament this year. So it's been this kind of big legal back and forth in the media, out of the media, and on Monday it came to a head. The governor of California signs this bill, putting this rule into play in California. It won't take effect until 2023, but again, Basically, the concept is that athletes in the state of California, if you go to a state school in California, a college in California, USC, UCLA, San Diego State, uh, Cal State Fullerton, uh, Cal Berkeley, Stanford, basically, you can now get endorsement deals effective in 2023. And so this this, this bill became this big national talking point. It was this big win for um, you know people that are in favor of college athletes' rights, all that stuff. And obviously, the governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, signed it with LeBron James. It's going to be on an episode of The Shop, and it was this big to-do. All right, so that's the background. Now let me kind of give you my opinion, because like I said off the top, I'm not as anti this bill as you think. I think anybody who listens to this show knows that for the most part, I like the NCA model. I've said it many times. I've had many of you guys write in to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast asking questions along this line of, I actually think most college athletes have it pretty good. Uh, without this bill, this is what a college athlete gets. They get a check. First of all, people don't realize, you got to pay college athletes. Well, they do get paid. It's called the cost of attendance stipend. Um, and kids get a check every single month. It's small, it's a couple hundred bucks a month, but it's spending money. But here's my argument, which is basically that when you think about everything a college athlete gets, you don't really need more than a couple hundred bucks, right? Your housing is already paid for. Your food, you get free food round the clock, as much food as you can eat around the clock. Obviously, your health care is taken care of. Your, as I mentioned, your housing is taken care of. Any academic needs, whether it's books, whether it's tutoring, whether it's whatever, it's taken care of. And so, as you guys know, my argument has always been, I think college athletes have it pretty good. And what you have to remember, it's not just the five guys at the college that, that play high-level college basketball that get these benefits um, that are going to go to the NBA in two years. It's also the track team. It's also the volleyball team. It's also the men's wrestling team. It's also the softball team. And so in general, I actually think college athletes have it pretty good. Nobody wants to hear that. You guys do because you guys are kind of a smart audience. But, um, you know, most people on social media don't want to hear that. They want to talk about how terrible it is for college athletes and they have it so bad and life's so tough and this is modern day slavery. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. This is, they got it pretty good. Free education, free room and board, free health care, free food. That's, that's a pretty good life. That's not modern day slavery. Stop telling me it's modern day slavery. It's not. It's not indentured servitude. It's not. It's a pretty good deal. Now, could it be better? It could potentially be better. And that's where this comes in. And so I think a lot of people, kind of if you just follow me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, I've been kind of outspoken. Um, But to, to be clear, to make things abundantly clear, I am not opposed to athletes being able to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. And I've never 
been opposed to it. And I can tell you the exact moment that I decided that I was not against uh, athletes being able to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. It was back in 2010. 2010, that was a long time ago. That was a decade ago. If you remember, and many of you won't, A.J. Green, who is now with the Cincinnati Bengals, A.J. Green was a wide receiver at the University of Georgia. And in his junior year, he was one of the prominent players in all of college football. He got suspended for four games for selling a game-worn jersey. Went to a bowl game, wore the jersey, kept the jersey, sold it for whatever, 500 bucks or 200 bucks or whatever. He ended up getting suspended for four games. He ended up missing a quarter of or a third of Georgia's season that year. And I remember back then, 2010, saying, well, it's his jersey. That, that doesn't really seem fair to me. And ever since then, I've been like, okay, guys should be able to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. Because when I looked at that A.J. Green situation, I said, it's his jersey. It's literally the clothes off his back. If he wants to sell it, he should be able to sell it. And I remember thinking at the time and writing at the time, like, where do you draw the line, right? And to go back to 2010, it was a long time ago. If you don't remember that era, I'll I'll make a little bit of a historic reference. That was like back when you used to sell shit on Craigslist, right? Remember Craigslist before it became a place that only creeps and pedophiles hung out? Like Craigslist was the place that you went to sell stuff. I remember writing at the time, like, well, where does this end for A.J. Green? He can't sell his jersey. Like, can he sell his couch on Craigslist? Or is that against NCAA rules? So to me, I've never understood this idea that guys shouldn't be able to benefit off of, again, their name, image, and likeness to basically endorse a product, to be able to go to the local car dealership, to be able to go to whatever the local dealership, you know, whatever the local business is that wants to sponsor him. I'd also add, and I've said this in every interview that I've done this week, I think it'd be hypocritical for me to say that an athlete shouldn't be able to benefit off his name, image, and likeness, because I'll be honest, I benefit off my own name, image, and likeness. I sell advertisements for this podcast because people want to be associated with Aaron Torres. Now, let's be honest, probably more people want to be associated with Tua or Trevor Lawrence or, uh, you know, Tyrese Maxey at Kentucky or Zion Williamson last year, but I use my name, image, and likeness. So why shouldn't an athlete be able to do the same? So I've never been opposed to the name, image, and likeness rule. What I do have a problem with, and this is where all the back and forth and my beef with Richard Sherman, like this is where it all comes from. Where it all comes from is this. What I don't like is politicians who do not care about college athletics, who have no idea about the issue, who Gavin Newsom, I can guarantee you, has never been to a college campus. He's never been the facility at UCLA or at USC or at San Diego State or at Cal. He doesn't care about student athletes. He cares about an easy political win, a public, you know, a public win, sitting there with LeBron James, dapping it up, high five, and talking about how they're going to change the system. Gavin Newsom doesn't care about college athletes. He cares about an easy political win. And this is the easiest political win because nobody publicly will go against him. Now, I will. A couple other guys in the media will. Doug Gottlieb will. Dan Dockich will. Now, everybody will come after us because, oh my God, we don't think that college athletes have the worst lives in the world, so we must be terrible human beings. Must be racist because I, I want to hold people back. Got called racist a lot today. Fun day, but it happens. Whatever, no big deal. But so guys like me and Gottlieb and Dan Dockich, like, yeah, we'll, we'll say this is like, let's pump the brakes here. But that's really my only issue with this is that I think it can be done and I think it should be done. 
But I think it should be done in the proper way. It shouldn't be a governor who doesn't know anything about college athletics trying to strong arm the NCAA into doing something, into putting in legislature before it's ready. And my only thing is, I think we need to figure out the system and how it works. And it's ironic because I've seen so many people kind of talk about this. I've seen so many people, well, they should just be able to do it right now. And it's like, well, no. Whenever any bill goes into place or whatever in real life, it takes time, right? And I will give Gavin Newsom credit for this. He he wait he said he set up the bill so it doesn't go into place until 2023. And the NCAA has time to kind of put in their own kind of you know legislation or whatever so that kids can benefit off their name, image, and likeness. And I thought that the best kind of conversation that came out of this, it's not people yelling and screaming in one way or yelling and screaming in the other way. The NCAA is terrible. The NCAA is great. I saw Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, I'll read his quotes verbatim because I thought they were the best ones that I saw. He said, there is meaningful concern related to the inherent consequences that will inevitably arise when individual states unilaterally alter a set of rules that currently apply to student athletes and universities across country. In the Southeastern Conference, we are proud to support we are proud of the support we currently provide to student athletes and believe there is a need to engage in thoughtful discourse that considers the benefits of the current structure of intercollegiate athletics, as well as the interests of present day student athletes and the national balance of intercollegiate athletic competition. We must also fully address the underlying potential for abuse by external forces and strive for a structure that appropriately ties financial support of student athletes to their educational pursuits. So basically what that's a long way of saying is, listen, the NCAA is trying. We got a working group. We're trying to figure this thing out. But we can't just rush rules into place because some governor in California decided that this is what's best for him. And again, that he wants an easy political win. And let me explain why. So after this governor of California put in this, this legislation, all of a sudden, all these other states started proposing their own bills. And... I think it's pretty obvious why. I think it's very fascinating why. It's that no state wants to get left behind, right? Like, like you don't want to be the state of Georgia and you, all your best players are going to California because California has this bill and you don't. And so all of a sudden, Florida has uh, legislation that they're looking at. And all these other states, I heard Matt Jones, my buddy, say that Kentucky's looking into it. Ohio is looking into it. One of the... Uh, Former Ohio State players is like a senator or something, but Ohio is looking into it. And the reason why is very simple. These states don't want to get left behind. They don't want in 2023 UCLA to be able to go out and get the top 25 recruits in the country or the top 20 football players in the country and the top five basketball players in the country, pay them $100,000 and bring them to campus. And so my only issue is that this just we just need to figure out a way to get this done Kind of what the NCAA is saying on the national level. Look, every time the NCAA comes out and says, like, we're working on this, but we have to be careful. Of course, the natural inclination is for, oh, they're obviously, they're just protecting their own interests. It's like, no, but we have 50 states with 50 different rules and we got to get everybody under the same umbrella. And what happens is when every state tries to, tries to use political pressure to make things happen, what's going to end up happening is the wild, wild west. And so I use the example of Florida because in the state of Florida, I already saw that they are working on legislation and their legislation could go into effect as early as April of 2020. That is six months from now. That is before the current group of high school seniors graduates high school. And so if Florida has their way, 
they're going to have this rule in place. And in theory, high school seniors that have not yet committed to colleges could get paid to go to Florida or Florida State or Miami or UCF or USF by the next calendar basketball season and football season. So if you're, say, who's the top high school player in the country? Now, Cade Cunningham. So Cade Cunningham, top high school player in the country. If Florida gets their their way, we could literally have a situation where North Carolina and Kentucky and Oklahoma State are all recruiting Cade Cunningham, and Florida can come in in six months and offer him a bag of cash to quote-unquote endorse a product. And so I know I'm going a lot of different directions here, but I just think it needs to be figured out on a national level, legislated on a national level, because you can't just have every state doing their own thing, and you can't just have every state implementing their own rules when they want, how they want, this and that. And so the one thing I will say, look, people have been trying to bring down the NCAA for 50 years. Um, I'm a, a student of sports. I'm a student of college sports. And people have been in court with the NCAA forever, okay? I know I just sounded like Sandlot. Forever. Forever. They've been in legislation, or they've been in court battling the NCAA forever. I don't think any of this is going to take place overnight today. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. And I think the NCAA is going to fight it tooth and nail. I do think eventually we're going to get to a point in two years or five years or 10 years where players will be able to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. What I do think we have to be careful about, though, is just this idea. Let me backtrack. So this is so so that's kind of the big picture. Now let me explain just kind of my general thoughts on it. My general thoughts are pretty simple. I think I've said it a few times. I'm not opposed to kids benefiting off their name, image, and likeness. I would like to live in a world where a Tua Tonga Viola, where a Trevor Lawrence comes to campus and has to earn their spot and earn their endorsement figures before they can just go out and make money. And that's the part that concerns me is what concerns me is kind of what I was just saying a minute ago, kind of the wild, 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 wild west element where the next great high school quarterback, we're just paying them 500000 or a million dollars or 200000 or whatever the cost will be to get him to go to your college. Because I think that puts, listen, and I know nobody feels bad for these, college, for these high school kids, but I do think it puts a little bit of pressure on them, right? Like it's like, you know, what happens to the kid that, gets paid $500,000 and it doesn't work out. It happens in football all the time, by the way. So let's just use, uh, and this is the example I've been using all week. So Justin Fields is the quarterback at Ohio State. If you haven't watched, he's awesome. I mean, he is phenomenal. He's also a transfer. He also went to Georgia, didn't earn the job as the number one quarterback in the country. And so here's my question. I don't know, like maybe this is just me morally. But I worry about the idea that Justin Fields is coming out of high school, the next Justin Fields in 10 years, and Ohio State and Bama and Clemson and USC can just get into a bidding war for him. And whoever has the most money, if a booster wants to pay $2 million to Justin Fields, they pay him $2 million. What happens if he doesn't win that starting quarterback job? What happens if he has to transfer? Like, like what happens then? Does he have to pay back the money? Does the booster have to pay him to go play for another school? What happens if it's a one-time deal where the head of whatever at USC pays Justin Fields, and this is just an example, the next Justin Fields, we won't use Justin Fields, the next Justin Fields, pays him $2 million on a one-time deal, or let's, let's not say $2 million, let's say $500,000. Pays him $500,000, one year, one endorsement to come do a car commercial. Goes to, UCLA, goes to USC, 
He's a disaster. He has to transfer. What happens if he already helped his parents with a down payment for a house? And all of a sudden, he's making no money. Then what happens? And so I just think we're putting a lot. We're going to put, if it just becomes the wild, wild west, um, if it just becomes a situation where recruits are just getting paid to the highest bidder, like I think that's a very scary situation for college sports. Because even in, in the NBA, even in the NFL, one, people say, oh, you need a free market for all these players. Well, there's not a free market in the NBA. If the Golden State Warriors want to pay LeBron James $200 million to play for them, they can't. There's a salary cap. There's a salary cap in the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys can't just go out and outbid the New, York, the New England Patriots for Tom Brady. And so now there's going to be free market for these student athletes? Like To me, that's what my concern is, is, is the idea that we're just going to pay kids at 18 years old, whatever, to get them to campus. And again, what happens when they put a down payment on a house for mom and dad or whatever, and that money doesn't keep going in? I mean, at least when you get to the NBA or the NFL, it's a four, five-year, six-year contract. When you get to college, I mean, it might be a one-off, here's $200,000 to do one car commercial. What happens if that money stops coming in? Now, maybe I'm being overly dramatic. Maybe I'm, I care too much about you know, putting too much pressure on a 17-, 18-year-old kid. But I think these are the realities. And I think th- this is what, when Greg Sankey says, like, we have to kind of just look at the big picture of all 50 states. When Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, looks at, says we have to look at all 50 states, I do think that this is what they're talking about. Some people say, oh, if FedEx, you know, James Wiseman goes to Memphis. And James Wiseman was the number one high school player in the country. And I've heard people say, well, if FedEx wants to pay him a million dollars a year, they should pay him a million dollars a year. Okay, but I I don't know. It's just there's something that doesn't add up there. And I'll be honest, man, and I think this is something a lot of people are underestimating. I'm kind of scared for what the market will be. And by the way, I'm just talking all of this out because I've thought about this, but I haven't put it all out there yet. What would the market be for James Wiseman or Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence coming out of high school? Because I know some of these boosters, and I know all they want to do is win. And I know, like people think, oh, like, what's what's Trevor Lawrence going to get on the open market? 50000 Like, no, I think he's going to get like a million dollars. I don't know if that's great. And I would also add, it does come with actual, so, so that's just kind of my, my broader, be careful about this. Here are the actual problems that could come with it, and this is where kind of the future of sports scares me, and this is where, to get back to what I was saying, the vast majority of college athletes have it really good. And yes, do I feel bad that Zion Williamson couldn't make a little bit more pocket change at Duke last year? Of course I do. But I would also add, Zion just signed a $100 million shoe contract. Zion, it worked out just fine. But if we had paid Zion all that money at Duke, does that mean that now we have enough money for the women's lacrosse team and the women's golf team. Do we have to start cutting sports? And so let me give you an example on that. So I use this example on a radio interview, but let's not talk about the major athletic departments where money is just being printed, right? So let's not talk about Ohio State. Let's not talk about Texas. Let's say, let's take a smaller athletic department where money isn't as bountiful as it is. Let's say Wake Forest. There's a Wake Forest booster that gives $500,000 a year every single year to Wake Forest Athletics. Now, in the current situation, he may give it to whatever. He may give it to Wake Forest, and it, and that 500000 may go and fund the women's golf program for an entire year. Obviously, it goes without saying, 
women's golf doesn't make any money. Somebody needs to subsidize it. And so that booster that really just wants really good football and basketball tickets, he's paying $500,000, but it's going to the women's golf team, right? So what happens in five years when, an ath- when athletes can, can get their name, image, and likeness paid for? What happens when that booster says, you know what, that $500,000, instead of giving it to the athletic department, and I'm not saying feel bad for the, for the rich old white guys in charge, but what happens when that guy in five years says, you know what, instead of giving that 500000 to the athletic department, I'm just going to go find the best quarterback in high school football. I'm just giving him $500,000 because I want Wake Forest to be good at football. So I don't really care about where my money was going before. I'm just going to give it to, to whatever kid. And I own a car dealership, and I'll give the kid $500,000 to do one autograph signing at my dealership. And the kid gets $500,000, he comes to Wake Forest. Now all of a sudden that $500,000 that was going to the women's golf program, gone. And what happens to the women's golf program? And so that's kind of what scares me about what this could look like. I'm not, a, I don't think that kids shouldn't be able to make money. What concerns me is stuff like that. How about this? Let's take it a step further. Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, as we all know through this FBI probe, they pay tens of millions of dollars to these universities to be the official apparel sponsor. Obviously, some of it under the table is maybe going to a recruiter too. Okay. So now here's my question, right? So Under Armour gives like $15 million to UCLA. And like I said, that, that $15 million goes, Under Armour is the official apparel sponsor, UCLA. Um, Under Armour is all over the UCLA campus, just like Duke is, Nike's all over the Duke campus, Nike's all over the Kentucky campus, Adidas is all over the Kansas campus. What happens if in 10 years, Under Armour says, you know what, this is a really bad investment. I really don't care about paying $15 million and having our logo on the women's golf team and the men's gymnastics team and the men's swimming and diving team, I'm just going to pay $100,000 to all 12 basketball players at UCLA. Now, that's great for all 12 basketball players, but these athletic departments have now become so reliant on shoe money that if, if UCLA decide, or Under Armour decided, you know what, we're just going to pay the quarterback of the football team and the 12 guys on the basketball team the entire athletic department would go under. There wouldn't be enough money to pay for everything. And so maybe I'm too nostalgic. Maybe I'm too, I I don't know if nostalgic is the right word, but let me put it to you this way. I understand the effects that these decisions will have in a way that most people don't. The guys that you see on TV and girls that you see on TV, they're not on these college campuses. They're not there every day. They're not in the facilities. They're not seeing how well the women's golf team and the, the swimming and diving team and the men's wrestling team They're not seeing how well those people are living. And maybe I shouldn't care about the men's wrestling team. Maybe I shouldn't care that if they can't pay their own bills, then they're SOL. But that wrestling team also has 10, 12 guys on that team that are getting free college scholarships to whatever school they're going to, thanks to the basketball team, thanks to the football team, thanks to Under Armour, thanks to Nike, thanks to Adidas. And so these are the real concerns that I think creep up with this bill. And so to go back, and I'll wrap up on this because I'm already 25 minutes in and I don't know how I got here, this is my concern with this bill. And I have no problem if, like I said, over the next year or two years or whatever, the NCAA figures out a way to make this happen, that it's kind of, I don't want to say regulated, but that basically um, that it can be controlled in some way. So 
John Smith, the owner of, of the car dealership, isn't just walking through campus and grabbing Zion Williamson and handing him a briefcase full of cash and saying, come, you know, come, come down whenever you can and let's do an autograph signing. Because I think, again, that gets into a slippery slope, that gets into a, a gray area. And so, yes, if John Smith wants Zion Williamson for a TV commercial, I have no problem with him going through the athletic department. Not so the athletic department can skim money off the top. That's not what this is about. Just so that it can be structured, so there can be like reasonable, I don't know, limitations isn't right, but so that they it can be done in the framework. And so when the NCAA says they're working on this stuff, like they actually really are working on this stuff. But it takes more than Gavin Newsom deciding that he wants to look woke on LeBron James's show, uh, signing some bill without knowing any of the details. By the way, one thing I would say, and I think I already said this, but I- I'm I'm so fired up about this. The one thing that I would say is, if if the NCAA is guilty of anything, I don't think it's exploiting players. I think most of them have it pretty good. What I think the NCAA is guilty of is bad PR. And like I said, if I was the NCAA. First thing I would have done when this bill was proposed two, three, four weeks ago, whatever it was, I would have said, Gavin Newsom, we invite you down to UCLA. We want you to see how our entire athletic department functions, how all the pieces go together, how, yes, it stinks that the star basketball player can't make a little bit of money on the side. But on the flip side, because they can't make a little bit of money, it does help out women's swimming and diving, women's gymnastics, men's wrestling, men's baseball, whatever. So I hope that makes sense, and I just hope that it, it, this thing can be done in a way where it works for everybody, where we don't have the star high school football player who's never played a down of college football, or the star high school basketball player who's never played a, a minute of college basketball getting two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000, and it's affecting the entire athletic department. If I can wrap it up in one simple way. There's an, a columnist, and I shared his column on Twitter the other night. His name is Mark Ziegler. Uh, he's from the San Diego Union Tribune. He's in San Diego. He covers San Diego State. Does a, actually a really good job. And he basically described it like this. is like, this is an ecosystem. And one little disruption to the ecosystem, the whole thing could come crashing down. And that's the point I made about swimming and diving and golf and all that stuff. It's kind of like... You know, this summer there was a big story about uh, wildfires in the Amazon, right? And like, but if you read a like an environmentalist or whatever, somebody who studies the environment, they'll tell you, like, oh yeah, if the Amazon burns down, it's going to have an effect on the entire globe, and like that's what this is all about here. So, I hope the NCA can do this in a way that makes sense, that works for everybody besides the seven or 10 or 15 or 50 athletes that are actually going to make money. That's that. By the way, I didn't even get into my Richard Sherman thing. So Richard Sherman, real quick, then I'll get to my college football picks. Richard Sherman comes out with this thing of like, he said, I guess his exact quote was, he hopes that this bill destroys the NCAA. (laughs) So it's so funny because I tweeted out on, I guess it was Tuesday morning, Um, and I really didn't even think all that much about it when I tweeted. I just said, basically, like, Richard Sherman can't be serious here. The NCAA, this, this organization that he's crushing, provided him with an academic, with a scholarship to one of the greatest universities in the world. And if he had never played a down of NFL football, here's the exact quote. Richard Sherman on the California bill, I hope it destroys the NCAA. And my response was, this can't be real, right? 
The NCAA allowed Richard Sherman to get a free education at Stanford. Had he never played in the NFL, he could still have gotten a degree from one of the best universities in the world on the NCAA's dime. This is truly an awful take by Richard Sherman. And it was funny because I didn't really think much about it when I tweeted it out. And I was actually off social media. It, you know, it came out on, on Tuesday morning. And Wednesday, I'm doing work, and all of a sudden, my phone just blows up. And Richard Sherman came back at me. Bro, my scholarship wasn't even paid for by the NCAA. It was paid for by private donors. Yeah, no shit, bro. Like, I, I know your scholarship. Like, I know the NCAA didn't write a check to Stanford that said, uh, please take care of Richard Sherman. But the broader point is that kind of what I was just saying. I don't think Richard Sherman's the guy that should be trying to take down the NCAA. Richard Sherman got a great education from a great university. By the way, credit to Richard Sherman because he was smart enough. He could have gotten an academic scholarship to Stanford. He could have gone to probably any school in the country on an academic scholarship. But let's also not deny the fact that football really did help him out. And by the way, there were 84 other guys on that team. And probably 80 of them didn't make the money in the NFL that Richard Sherman did. And they do need that education. And so Richard Sherman came at me and it was just a thing and it was just like all day and it was just really what it was was exhausting because you know how it is on social media. You can't really context, you can't get out context. And so, like I said, you know, it was, it was just all day long. It was da da da. Sherman got you. You're Richard Sherman's you know what. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, the dude got a great education at Stanford. If he had twisted his ankle in by the way, I would add this on Richard Sherman. He was like a fifth round draft pick. If he gets drafted by like Marvin Lewis instead of Pete Carroll, he's probably not in the NFL and probably using that degree that he got from Stanford for something other than football. But again, let's destroy the NCAA so that the next Richard Sherman can't get a chance. I thought it was totally idiotic by Richard Sherman. Uh, and as usual, I'm right. All right, so let's wrap on this. A couple college football picks for the weekend, and then I will do the college, then Kirk Herbstreet, then the college basketball mailbag. So college football picks really quick. This was a painfully slow slate. And I'll say this. Last week, I went 5-1-1 one, one in the picks against the spread, made a ton of money. Hope he took my picks. This week, I don't feel really great about any of the picks. I think the games suck. I think the matchups are tough to figure out. Um, you know, Alabama, I like betting the overs on Bama. I like betting the unders on Clemson. Both those teams have a bye. Most of the games, I don't feel really, really good about. Um, and so most of them are stayaways. So I didn't touch Iowa-Michigan because I really have no idea what's going to happen with Iowa-Michigan. Uh, didn't touch Tennessee-Georgia because I think Georgia could win that game 24-3 or they could win that game 53-3. And so, like, I'm not going to just guess and give you information that I don't think is accurate. So I only have five picks this week. They're available on AaronTorresOnline.com. Here are those five picks. First of all, um, Friday night. Central Florida, minus five and a half. I should mention, if you're gambling this week, do it at MyBookie. MyBookie, promo code TORRES, T-O-R-R-E-S. You get a 100% sign-up bonus, which basically means you double the money. Picks are on AaronTorresOnline.com. I'm all out of breath. I'm all tired from yelling about Richard Sherman. So Central Florida, I got them, minus four and a half at Cincinnati. Here's what you need to know about this game. First of all, it's going to be a wild night at Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati, for people who don't know, they are doing a Midnight Madness event after this. So for all the college basketball fans out there, remember when Midnight Madness used to be a thing and they would do the opening of the season at midnight? Well, Cincinnati's actually doing that after this game. So it's going to be a crazy night on campus. I just think UCF, Central Florida, too many playmakers, too many difference makers. Cincinnati's defense actually hasn't been that good this year. I think it's high scoring. I think Cincinnati wins. 
uh, or excuse me, I think UCF wins and covers something by the score of like 37 to 30 or something like that. Uh, second game, Saturday morning, Utah State at LSU. I actually like the under in this game. And so here's a crazy stat for you. Every LSU game this year, they're entering this weekend 4-0. Every game at LSU has gone over this year. And I think the natural inclination would be to take the over here. LSU's coming off a bye. Uh, Utah State, by the way, their quarterback, Jordan Love, some people think could be an NFL quarterback. So everyone's going to think it's going to be a shootout, right? I'm not so sure for this reason. LSU, this is kind of the last game for them before they really hit the meat of SEC play. So next week, LSU plays Florida at home, then they play at Mississippi State, then they play at or they play Auburn at home. By the way, after that, they have a bye, then they play Bama. They need to be ready for that stretch. So I think this game, I think they jump out early. I think the defense is motivated because the defense has been hearing for a couple weeks now that maybe they're not as good as they used to be. And I think LSU gets up something like 45 to 10 in the third quarter. They call off the dogs. They bring out, they bring out the starters. They get everybody healthy for Florida next week. That is the game that is going to start the stretch run for LSU and determine whether they're a playoff team or not. They don't care about what the final score is against Utah State, just getting a win. So like the LSU under there. Speaking of under, the game of the week, Florida at Auburn. Um, or excuse me, Auburn at Florida. I don't have a great feel for who is going to win this game, but I'll tell you this. I think both teams want to take the ball out of their quarterback's hands. Auburn has a true freshman, Bo Nix at quarterback. Florida has a backup in Kyle Trask. They're going to want to run the ball. Both teams have really good defenses. They're going to try to bleed the clock. I can't see either team scoring more than 20 or 24 or 21 points in this game, somewhere in there. Because of it, I like the under. Two more picks. Nebraska, minus 7.5. I think you can even get them for 7. Look, I know we all watched Nebraska. It was ugly. I hope you didn't have kids because they're probably still having nightmares about that game against Ohio State last week. But Ohio State might be the best team in college football. Um, and Nebraska... They put together a couple drives early, and Adrian Martinez just turned over the ball. Bottom line is, Northwestern, not very good. And they have something like the 117th or 120th ranked uh, offense in college football. They can't move the ball. And so I think Nebraska, they come out with a chip on their shoulder. They were embarrassed last week. I think they win. I think they dominate. I like Nebraska, minus seven, seven and a half, whatever you can get them. Favorite play of the weekend, another under. I know under Torres, you guys hate him, but unders hit. Hit with Clemson last week, hit with Ohio State, Nebraska. Those are my two big bets of the week. They both cashed. This is my favorite bet. Washington at Stanford. Late game, Stanford. Richard Sherman. I hate that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It has nothing to do with Richard Sherman. Stanford's not good on offense this year. 117th nationally in total offense. Uh, David Shaw, the uh, once-touted offensive genius, his offense is terrible. Washington, on the other hand, they've already played three teams that were ranked when they played them, Cal, BYU, and USC last week, and they haven't given up more than 20 points. So I think Washington completely shuts down Stanford, and I think from Washington's perspective, they don't need to win this game 55-3. to They just want to win this game. They want to run down the clock. They're on the road. I don't think it's high scoring. I love this pick. Washington at Stanford under 52. So again, only five picks this week. I try to give you seven to eight. I just don't like the slate. Um, Central Florida minus four and a half. LSU, Utah State under 72 and a half. Auburn, Florida under 48 and a half. Nebraska minus seven. Washington, Stanford under 52. 
All right, so that is it for this portion of the show. Kirk Herbstreet coming up, and then on the back end, I will do my College Hoops mailbag. Like I said, I got about 15, 20 questions. I'll do two or three today, two or three next week, and we'll really kind of ramp up towards college basketball. It's hard to believe we're basically one month away from the start of College Hoops season. I cannot wait. I know that you guys cannot wait. So no further ado, Kirk Herbstreet coming up. Afterward, College Hoops mailbag. All right, and joining me on the phone now here on behalf of Goodyear and the college football playoff. He is one of the faces, one of the voices of all of college football. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Kirk, how are you doing today? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. And, and we're going to get into a couple of the kind of meaty topics in this part of the college football season. But I was interested in this. You know, I was listening to you guys, obviously, these last couple weeks, you and Chris doing what you do. I heard you also in another interview earlier this summer kind of talking about your path and your journey with my buddy Clay Travis. And when I say, uh, you know, one of the faces and voices of college football, one, I hope that isn't uh, offensive or anything like that. But uh, do you ever sit back when you're sitting in the booth on one of these Saturday nights and say, man, I cannot believe where I am at at this point in my career? You know, I I just look at it like, uh, been doing this 24 years. If you listen to that interview with Clay, then you know that I grew up um, just a big time college football fan with my dad you know, playing at Ohio State and coaching with Woody and going on to Miami of Ohio coaching with Bo. I just I just always been enamored with with the sport. Um, I love all sports, um, but I, college football is just a different deal for me because of the emotion and, and the passion of every week. You know, not just at the end of the year, but every week from the very first uh, week all the way through. So, um, yeah, I I don't take a day for granted. I I, I prepare every day as soon as I get done hang, hanging up uh, this call. It's Monday, and I, I kind of have my Monday routine of, of prep work, and I, I do it all the way through Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And then even Saturday after game day, I go on our bus and watch games and, do more prep work before I go out to call the game that I call on Saturday night. So, um, kind of been a grinder and kind of a, been that kind of guy my whole life. It's all I really know. If I didn't do that, I don't know what I would do, but, um, I, I typically every Saturday night when I'm standing up uh, with Chris calling the game of the week, wherever we happen to be. And, uh, it just never gets old. It's, it's something that, um, I'm fortunate to do something I love and and uh, and do it at a very high level, and I just keep doing this as long as they'll let me. Fantastic. Um, on the field, I, I would ask you this: is that I, I find it so fascinating because we kind of came into this season. And I'm not saying you felt this way or I felt this way, but the general consensus was it's Bama and Clemson, Clemson and Bama, and everybody else is basically playing for third place. And we are now basically at about the halfway point of the season, five weeks in. Some teams are playing their sixth game this weekend, and clearly that is not the case. I would just ask you kind of in the big picture, as you said, as somebody who's sitting there watching games, prepping all week, what do you feel like now five weeks going into week six are the biggest points or are or is the biggest talking point going into the weekend and really at the halfway point of the season? Well, I think the big thing is you have to eliminate any any kind of preconceived thoughts you had coming into the year. I think a big part of voting on a poll or looking at these teams and, and trying to be fair is to look at what you've seen that's happened. And 
right now what's exciting is the beginning of the year we had Clemson and Alabama based on the national perception and then everybody else. Now after five weeks of football, depending on who you talk to, you know, there's there's eight or nine teams right now that are in a discussion or in a debate about who's who's elevated themselves at the top of the pole. And that's a good thing. That's a, that's, that's an awesome thing for the sport um, to have these teams that are that are really out of the gate playing well. And you know, I, you can make a case for Bama. You can make the case for Ohio State. You can make a case for LSU, Oklahoma, Auburn, and their schedule. Wisconsin's been playing good football. Even Notre Dame, with the one loss to Nathan, uh, has looked really good these, these last couple weeks. So, uh, I, I think it's uh, it, it really is setting uh, the sport up for the middle of the year. We're up to week six now. You get into October, and that's when I think you really start to see teams. You find out who's really going to stick up and and be in that top five or six. And then we get into November, and it's obviously those are the games we always remember. And uh, that's when it's championship time. So we're off to a great start, I think, as a sport. A lot of incredible individual performances and great storylines. And I just hope uh, everybody stays healthy and we we continue to watch uh, some great games. Yeah, you mentioned all the teams that are in the conversation. One is obviously Clemson. They were number one in the polls. As you said, a lot of it is preconceived what we thought coming into the season. This is not to say that they can't win the championship, that they won't win the championship, but I I think most people watching them would say that something just doesn't feel right with them right now. I mean, I know you're 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 you know watching a million different games, but can you put your finger on what, if anything, is exactly wrong with Clemson at this point? Because again, it just feels like they aren't playing at the level that we all feel like they're capable of. Well, I think there's a couple things. I think anytime that you're a human being and you you hear all the wonderful things people are saying about you, and there's a tendency, even though you don't want to admit it, that maybe you try to um, you, you anytime you try to force something try to make plays that can sometimes backfire on you i think clemson over the years has been dangerous because they've been able to run the football i mean the quarterbacks get a lot of the attention but if you really study clemson to me it's it's their ability to run the ball and be good at the line of scrimmage with their offensive line and i i think when i watch clemson i see a lot of trevor lawrence and a lot of the passing game and you don't see travis Etienne and that running game going maybe at the level that we thought we might see. And I think if you're Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott, the co-OCs, I think you kind of go back to um, kind of start it from the, the very first place you start, which is the, the running game. And I, I bet you starting with Florida State in a couple weeks because they have a bye this week, I bet you see them go back to being able to run the ball. And that then will open up Trevor Lawrence and the passing game. But I think right now their, their, their continuity is off a little bit. I think they're trying to hit big plays in the passing game with those tall receivers. And um, I think they need to get back to running the ball and, and letting that open up other, uh, let that open up other aspects of their offense. Very good. A couple more questions. We'll get you out of here. Um, real quick on Bama. Or I don't even know if you can answer this quickly, but I've been fascinated by Bama for years because obviously the thing that stands out to them isn't any one individual thing, but the fact that they continue to do it year after year after year after year after year. And my question for you is this, is that 
college football now is a sport where everybody has money because of the TV contracts. Everybody has great strength and conditioning. Everybody can pay, or the elite teams at least, can pay their coordinators you know, millions of dollars. Yet Bama continues to, for the most part, lap everybody else in college football. And I was just curious, as somebody who gets to be in these facilities, as somebody who gets to sit with Nick Saban a couple times a year, what is that guy doing differently? Because it's incredible to me in a world where, like I said, there's so much money in the sport. Um, you know, Bama's recruiting well, but not that much better than Georgia or Ohio State or LSU or whoever, that they continue to stay at this elite dominant level. I, I think the best way to answer that is if I asked you why – why is New England and uh, Bill Belichick, they may not win the Super Bowl every year, mm -hmm. but why is that brand, for whatever it's been, 18 or 19 years, why are they every year in the mix? Or why are they always at the top? Um, and the answer to me is very similar. It's because the culture that Nick Saban has created, the players, when they come in from high school as a five-star all-world kid, they learn right away through not only Coach Saban, but his great team. They learn it from the players, the older players. Uh, they, they learn to fall in line really quickly. The culture consumes them. And that culture is a work ethic that is unparalleled around the country. So when you bring in pretty high-profile players, very talented players, and you bring them into a culture where the best players on the team are the hardest workers on the team, there's no BS in, on that roster. If there's BS, they're eliminated from the roster. Just like Bill Belichick. There's no BS or you're, you're removed. And so that, and I think the attraction to Alabama is they send a lot of players to the NFL. And an 18-year-old kid right now, what, what makes him want to go to a school isn't the business college all the time um, or, or you know, the, the, the uh, school of medicine. It's who can get me to the NFL. And Alabama's had as much success as anybody in doing that. And so that's how they're able to get into a lot of the homes all over the country and bring players in to play for them. But when they get there, it's what they do and how they develop them. With uh, Scott Cochran as the strength coach and the older players buying in and helping teach the younger players, it's a, it's a well-manufactured, um, intentional manufactured machine that Nick Saban's created, but it's not him alone. It's Scott Cochran and those players that come in that become juniors and seniors. They, when you have a team that self-polices itself, you have a championship team. And I've always been impressed when I go around Alabama, how a guy that a few years ago was a young freshman. Now here he is the junior. And when you go and watch Alabama practice, it's incredible to watch those older players and how involved they are in helping the younger players. So that's, that's a really, I think, a special thing that they have. And, and also, he does a good job of never really – people make fun of him for it, but he never really celebrates championships. Hmm. He's already on to the next year. You know, he, they, they, they very rarely are reading their press clippings. Like, they're, they're in the weight room, and they're, they're, they're doing something to get better. And being able to maintain that is awfully hard. And they, they, that's, that's kind of why they're able to do it. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I think about when you say they're they're already on to the next one, they're already on to the weight room. Jalen Hurts this weekend, I don't know if you saw the picture, literally went to the weight room in his football pants after the game for Oklahoma on Saturday after he threw for about seven touchdowns. And so 
I guess he's bringing that attitude to Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, all right, I'll, I'll wrap because you are a busy man. you got a lot of stuff going on today. But as I mentioned, you're here with Goodyear and the College Football Hall of Fame, the Headed to the Hall campaign. I would love for you to kind of tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool year this year in 2019. Um, the Goodyear Blimp is the first non-player coach to, to go into the Hall of Fame. And it kind of uh-huh. helps celebrate th- this year. Uh, all state or uh, Goodyear rather is doing this ultimate uh, college football experience, and so between now and November seventh, yep. if you encourage people to go to headedtothehall.com, uh, they can, I think they can do it up to ten times uh, each person if they want to give their give themselves a better chance of winning, and they'll pull a name, and the prize package is incredible: a uh, private tour of the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, tickets to the Peach Bowl. Uh, which this year the Peach Bowl is a uh, a playoff game. Oh. Uh, at that game, you'll have access to the College Football Hall of Fame suite, a uh, chance to meet uh, some Hall of Famers, and also uh, have a ride inside the uh, the Goodyear Blimp. So all you got to do is go to www.headedtothehall.com, uh, and again between now and November November seventh to register. Fantastic, Kirk Herbstreit again of ESPN. Uh, busy man, truly appreciate the time. Thank you, Kirk, and I look forward to doing it again soon, my friend. All right, bud. Have a great week. All right, I want to thank Kirk Herbstreet. My voice just cracked. I'm so excited. I'll tell you guys this real quick. When I started this podcast, look, when you start a podcast like this, you know you're going to talk mostly college football, mostly college basketball. There are a couple guys and girls that you just know you want to get. And the fact that we just got Kirk Herbstreet, I am so freaking excited. Um... Just another great guest for the show. Bob Stoops last week. In the past, if you're new to this show, I've had on Vern Lundquist. I've had on Tim Brando. I've had on Paul Feinbaum. I've had on, um, you know, coaches. I've had Rick Pitino, Chris Mack, Jim Calhoun, Chris Beard. So I love how this show is growing. I love the guests that I'm bringing you. And now it's time to switch gears again. I talked about that California bill. I went on for like 45 minutes about it. Kirk Herbstreit came on. He was awesome. But as promised... It's time for a College Hoops mailbag. Here's the bottom line. We are now basically like a month away from the start of College Hoops season. I'm recording here on October 2nd. You guys are probably going to listen like October 3rd. And we are like a month away. November 6th, Kentucky, Michigan State, Kansas, Duke, Champions Classic. We're right there. And so over the next couple weeks, I think I'm going to really kind of acclimate in some College Hoops talk Get this show rolling. Get you in the college hoops mood. As I said, Eric Musselman going to join the show next week. Uh, A couple other coaches, big-time coaches coming in later on in the fall in the lead-up to the season. And I want to talk some college hoops. By the way, my top 25 drops next week. And I want to – I'll talk about that next week. But let's do some mailbag questions. Like I said, I got 10, 12, something like that in the mailbag. Let's get going. The first one actually came in today on Wednesday. It's from Rick. He said, A.T., Love the show. Love what you do. Always listen. Question for you. Did you see Penny Hardaway's comments where he basically guaranteed Memphis wins a national championship? What do you make of them? I'm not as anti-Penny Hardaway as some others, but it seems a little absurd to me. So first of all, thank you, Rick. Appreciate you tuning in, checking out the show. And real quick, basically what Penny Hardaway said was this. If, If you did not see the quote on Wednesday, Penny Hardaway interviewed by Dane O'Neill at The Athletic. Dane O'Neill's really good at what she does. Dane O'Neill kind of asked him, you know, hey, like, what's the ceiling of this team? And he said, what, what do I know 
This is what he said. That was bad. He said, what do I know? I know we have something special. When I see this group in action, see their abilities, I know what's at stake and I know what's out there. The teams like Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, all the usual suspects. I've studied the film. I know who they are. But when I look at this group, I just say to myself, we're going to win the national championship. That's what I know. All right, what I'll say is this. I know everybody wants me to like crush Penny Hardaway and he's overrated and he's totally all, he's all hype. I don't buy it. Like I think he was pretty good in his first year as a head coach and he is going to have, coming into 2019, the single most fascinating team in college basketball, right? Maybe, maybe the most talented, probably not the best on day one, but the most fascinating. And I think most of you kind of know the deal, but for people who don't, Penny Hardaway was hired two years ago and when he was hired... Basically, he was coaching high school and AAU in Memphis, and he was hired to basically bring all of those guys to Memphis. And so he did that in year one. He got a couple local commits. Then on top of that, in year two, James Wiseman, number one player in the country, played for him in high school, um, ends up committing to Memphis. A couple other Memphis kids commit. DJ Jeffries, who's originally committed to Kentucky, uh, Malcolm Dandridge, et cetera, et cetera. But was kind of incredible, Penny then went national. Boogie Ellis, who's committed to Duke, decommits when Trey Jones decides that he's returning to school. He ends up at Memphis. Lester Quinones, top 50 kid, he ends up at Memphis. Precious Achua, top 15 kid, he ends up at Memphis. People were talking about him to North Carolina or UCLA. And so what we have now at Memphis is the single most fascinating team in the sport, like I said. I'll tell you why. It's because they go too deep at every position. They have probably about four or five guys that have NBA potential but two things. One, they're all freshmen and sophomores. And I'll tell you, we all know that historically teams that are all freshmen and sophomores don't win national championships. It's just not how it works. Even Duke, when they won the championship, they had veterans. Even when Kentucky won the national championship, they had veterans. And then you look at the last couple of years, heavy veteran-laden teams, Virginia last year, Villanova the year before, North Carolina the year before that. So that's one. They're just really young. Here's the other thing that I think is interesting. They're really deep. They have a lot of guys that expect to play, and a lot of those guys are from Memphis. And what I think is really interesting here, we can make a historical parallel. When John Calipari was at Memphis, John Calipari used to say, I will never recruit a Memphis kid unless I know he's good enough to start and I know he's good enough to play in the NBA. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't know if he ever said this exact quote, but he basically said, like, the one thing I don't want is a Memphis kid sitting on my bench because... When you have a Memphis kid sitting on your bench, you know who you hear from? Not the kid, but the parents and the uncles and the brothers and the sisters and the high school coach. Now, in Penny's case, the high school coach was maybe him. The AAU coach was maybe him. But that's what's interesting to me. They go too deep at every position. Some of Penny's own guys were recruited over, right? So DJ Jeffries commits to Memphis, played for Penny, and then they sign Precious Achua, who's better than him, and basically plays the same position. The two guys that signed last year. Penny goes out and signs Boogie Ellis better than them. And so that's what's fascinating to me. Not just that they got so many guys, but that so many of them are from Memphis and they're not going to start. They're not going to play. And what happens when those guys are coming off the bench? They're not getting minutes. It's a big game against Houston or, or Cincinnati in the AAC and three kids from Memphis that played for Penny, that were recruited for Penny, don't get off the bench. Can he keep things under control? And so to me, that's why they're so fascinating. They have, 
I think you can argue the most talented roster in college basketball, if not the most talented, I would say top three or top four behind Duke, Kentucky, like Penny said, all the usual suspects. I don't think they're going to win the national championship. I don't have a major problem with him putting it out there, but I just think, I think it's one, they're young, but I think two, there's just so many egos, not only in the locker room, but in that city, can you keep all, imagine Kentucky having a, a roster full of Kentucky kids and mom and dad are at every game and they're driving up from all over and they expect their son to play and he doesn't play. It'd just be, it'd be tough. So that's what's interesting to me. Um, next question. It comes from Wade who says, out of all the players in college basketball, who are you most intrigued as an NBA prospect? First ones that come to mind are Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and Cole Anthony, any sleepers? So I'll tell you this, Wade, um, it's really, really, really interesting because I actually had, was having a conversation with a major college coach the other day, and I'm not saying it to brag, like it was an assistant coach, it wasn't like, it's not like I was on the phone with like Coach K just chopping it up, it was an assistant coach, big time program, and he was kind of asking me, he's like, AT, who do you like, what do you think, blah, 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 I said, I'll be honest, I don't, I'm not really in love with any of the freshmen in this class. So, like, Anthony Edwards, I think, is really good. Like, he's super explosive. Anthony Edwards, by the way, plays at Georgia, play for Tom Cream. Super explosive, but, like, I don't know how good his skills are. Um, I'm not a big James Wiseman guy. James Wiseman doesn't play very hard most of the time. I think that'll be the most fascinating thing to see is if Penny can get that motor going because he's a guy that um, you need the motor to get going. He's He has all the potential in the world. He doesn't always play hard. Vernon Carey at Duke, he's kind of an old school big, he's slow, his feet aren't quick, he's kind of like Jaleel Okafor, like, is that a guy that works in the modern NBA, Matthew Hurt at Duke, like, eh, like, he's not a very good athlete, like, I I think he's like EJ Montgomery, but not as good, and so if EJ Montgomery's not really an NBA prospect, or not a top 15 pick, I don't know why Matthew Hurt would be, um, so those are the main guys, I'll tell you who I do like, I do like Cole Anthony from North Carolina, for people who don't know, that is Greg Anthony's son, Greg Anthony played at UNLV, Greg Anthony played for the New York Knicks, that's his son, completely different kind of player, explosive athlete, good point guard, I have heard stuff that guys don't like playing with him, but he's a really solid lead guard, a guy that I think is going to be really good at North Carolina, I have said there's no Zion Williamson this year in college hoops, so don't say who's this year's Zion, there is no this year's Zion, but I think Cole Anthony can be a close approximation to Trey Young because I think that North Carolina is going to need him to be Trey Young-like. Not saying he'll get, uh, he'll lead the college basketball in scoring and assists, but he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to be a playmaker. They're going to need him to score. And so Cole Anthony's a guy that I'm watching out for. We just mentioned Memphis. I'll tell you this. I'm not a big James Wiseman guy. I am a big Precious Achua guy, though. If you've never seen Precious Achua, Big, athletic kid. He's probably about 6'8", 6'9". He's a wing player. He almost reminds me of Kawhi Leonard, those super long arms, big hands, good frame. The frame's going to kind of fill up as he gets older. That's a guy that I think he could go like 12, 13, 14 in this draft and end up being one of the better players in this draft. I would also add, a guy that I actually really like is RJ Hampton. And I've said this on the show before. When I was in my beef with Australia, today it's Richard Sherman before it was Australia, People are like, oh, you just don't want him to succeed because that'll be bad for college basketball. I said, well, here's the bottom line. I do think he'll succeed because I think he's one of the most gifted high school guards that I've ever seen. He's got all the physical gifts in the world. And so I think him playing as a professional this year will do him some good. I also think it's going to lead him being successful is going to lead other kids to wanting to go overseas. And I don't think they'll be as successful as he ended up being. 
Last question for today, and then I'll get to more in the next episode. But this question also from Wade. And again, send in your questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, and I'll get to all of them. Guy named SD sent a couple good ones in. I will get to yours next week, SD. He asked me about Archie Miller. He asked me about Utah. This question is from Wade again. He said, I know little about what's going on in Pac-12 basketball this upcoming season, and I'm sure a lot of other college basketball fans feel the same. I know Oregon is loaded, and I wouldn't be shocked if they run away with the conference title. What are the other teams to watch? Great question, Wade. Thank you for the questions. Wade has more questions. SD has more questions. A couple other you guys have questions as well. I'll do more next week. So I can tell you about the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 basketball this year is actually a lot like Pac-12 football. Like people want to crush Pac-12 football, but the Pac-12 has four, five, six um, really good teams. They're just not great teams, right? And so, so with the Pac-12, everyone crushes it, but it's like the Pac-12, I think, has more good teams in it in football than the Big 12, than the ACC, and maybe even the Big 10. But because they don't have that elite national championship contender, everybody tries to tear down the Pac-12. But you look at the Pac-12, Cal, Washington, Washington State, uh, Oregon is really good. USC has had its moments. Utah's really good. But they don't have the Clemson. They don't have the Oklahoma. So when it comes to basketball, I think it's going to be the same. I think that they have two, three, four good teams. I actually think they have about six, seven good teams that can all compete for the tournament. I just don't think they have a Final Four national championship contender. So what I'll tell you is this. People love Oregon. I don't buy Oregon. Here's the problem with Oregon. They've done this now the last couple of years. They go out and they get these big-time recruits, um, and you can fill in your own speculation as to how they end up at Oregon. And they fill, they get a bunch of grad transfers, and all the guys caught in the middle just leave the program. So they had like four or five guys transfer out of the program this year. So basically they have Peyton Pritchard coming back. They sign a couple good recruits in Folly Dante, C.J. Walker, who was basically a McDonald's All-American caliber player. And then they had a couple grad transfers, Shakir Justin, who I said, I think he'll actually lead the team in rebounding. People love Infali Dante. I don't buy that he's going to be a difference maker in college basketball this season. But Shakur Justin's there. Anthony Mathis is there from New Mexico. I think it takes them a while to put the pieces together, though. I think kind of like what I was just saying with Memphis, they got a lot of grad transfers that are trying to get to the league. They got a lot of freshmen that are trying to get to the league. And I don't know how it all works together. That concerns me about Oregon. The teams that I do like, I'll tell you this, Colorado is a fascinating team. You talk to coaches, they love Colorado. Because Colorado, rarest of rare teams in college basketball. Their top six players are not only all back from last year. First of all, they won 24 games. They were the fourth best team in the Pac-12 last year. They won 24 games. Their top six guys are all back. But here's the crazy part. Nobody entered the transfer portal. Nobody declared for the draft and tested their draft water, draft, their draft prospects. Top six players all came back, and they've basically all been working out since May. So I don't know if they have the upper echelon talent of Oregon or UCLA or Arizona, but they just got a bunch of guys that have all played together. Now, they do have one guy, Tyler Bay, who I know pretty well. He played his high school ball here in L.A. Um, Tyler Bay could play in the NBA for sure. Um, he could end up being like a Pac-12 player of the year candidate. But I, I, Colorado's going to be really interesting. So I mentioned Oregon, I mentioned Colorado, Arizona, 
Big-time recruits, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, and for everybody that's going to say, well, we know how Arizona got them. Both those kids are from Arizona. Nico Mannion grew up there. Josh Green moved from Australia to Arizona, lived there for a few years before he ended up at IMG. Uh, I think Arizona's doing it on the up and up, but I'll say this for Arizona, is I think that Sean Miller is, people crush him and say he's the most overrated guy in the world. He's so overrated. I think Sean Miller has become so quote-unquote overrated that he's actually now a little bit underrated. And what I mean by that is very simply this. That guy has coached in seven Sweet 16s and four Elite 8s. But people crush him because he hasn't made a Final Four. Okay, I get it, but he wins one of those Elite 8 games. If he only wins 25% of those Elite 8 games, he has a Final Four, and nobody is talking about him as overrated. And think about some of the guys that have been in the Final Four. Did you take Sean Miller over Porter Mosier from Loyola Marymount, of course, or Loyola Chicago? Of course not. Stop. Would you take him over Frank Martin? Frank Martin's made one NCAA tournament since he got to South Carolina. They just got hot and ended up in the Final Four. So I like Sean Miller. I like Arizona. I like their talent. I think they're probably, to me, the favorites in the league. Colorado number two, Oregon number three. A couple other teams to watch out for. Um, USC, I know everyone wants to crush USC, and maybe I'm too close to it, but Here's what you need to know about USC. They made the tournament in 2016 and 2017. 2018, they, they finished in second place in the league and somehow got left out of the NCAA tournament. They should have been a tournament team. And then last year, they were really bad. So everyone's saying like, oh, USC, they're always overrated. It's like, well, they made the tournament two years, three years ago and four years ago. And then two years ago, they basically were like a win away from getting in the NCAA tournament because they finished second in the league and still didn't get in somehow. So I think those are the teams. UCLA, by the way, top 25 coming out next week. UCLA is right on the cusp. Um, UCLA, basically, here's what you need to know. They're going to have a nine-man rotation. Seven of those those players were top 100 recruits. Sharif O'Neal, Tiger Campbell, Jules Bernard. You go on and on and on. So the talent is there. But they just need a guy. The problem was Steve Alford was too chill. They needed somebody to kick him in the butt. And I think that Mick Cronin is that guy. So I think UCLA could overachieve. Washington, I haven't even mentioned. Jaden McDaniels, Isaiah Stewart. I think Isaiah Stewart might be the best freshman in college basketball. I don't know how he translates long-term to the NBA. He's kind of a little bit old-school, down-low kind of guy, but in college, he's going to dominate. So that's a long-winded way of me saying I think there are six or seven good teams. I didn't mention Arizona State, who's made the NCAA tournament the last two years. I like Oregon, Arizona, Arizona State, UCLA, USC, Colorado and Washington. I think those seven teams, I think out of those seven, at least five make the NCAA tournament, maybe six. The big question for the Pac-12, can they win games out of conference? You need to do that to build the tournament resume. The Pac-12 was abysmal last year. All right, I got more questions. I will get to them next episode, but we're already well over the hour mark. I want to thank Kirk Herbstreet. I want to thank you guys for getting through my NCA legislation spiel off the top. And I want to thank you guys for listening to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to the show. Do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Uh, let us know what you think. Also, follow me on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Also, what's the last thing? Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Like I said, if you want to get into the show, more college basketball questions next week. 
Eric Musselman next week. That is all for today. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. Shout out to my new friend Richard Sherman. I'm sorry I was right and you were wrong. I'll be back next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.